Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. We are in Romans chapter 5. We started chapter 5 last week. We got uh, verse number 2. We're moving right along. Let me find my place here. There we go. So let's read uh, the first three verses of Romans chapter 5. We'll pray first. Thank you, Father, for today. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding of your word. Father, pray God you bless the lesson today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Look at the first three verses. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You ever been in one of those situations where someone's telling you all kinds of things that are good about something you're going to buy, or maybe a job, or maybe something, and you're just nodding your head like a bobblehead doll, and you're kind of nodding your head. Yes, yes, yes. And then they say, you have peace with God. You got access. You got happy hope. Remember that last week? Happy hope. And then we glory in tribulations. And you say, what? Wait, what? Stop. I don't glory in tribulations. And they kind of sneaked it in there. You're still nodding away. Where did that come from? All these great things we have, and then we have tribulations also. That's what Paul said. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing what? That tribulation worketh patience. So we're going to look at this verse in these next, next few verses today. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. Let's, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 2. Paul knows something about tribulations, doesn't he? We'll look at some of the stuff he went through. James chapter 1. Tribulations. James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Ever have your faith tried before? Yeah. You ever try out anything? Have you ever tried out anything? You try out clothes? I, I never do. I take them. I have a lot of returns. I, I try out shoes. I wear online. They never fit me nothing because I always order the size I thought it was black wind, but I'm not anymore. Anyways, the trying, the experience, the, the constant trying or experience of your faith worketh patience. Verse 2. I preached a message on verse number 2. Rather than count all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Trials are certain. It's when you fall, not if you fall. They're sudden when you fall. How many of you plan to fall? You just fall, don't you? They're sudden. You don't plan for that. You just, whoa. And they're sorted. They're, they're assorted trials. You ever like going through the same trial more than once? I don't like that at all. Do you ever do that? You know why you do that? I must not learn what I was supposed to learn the first time. Yeah, they're almost always financial trials when I had to go through more than once. Refrigerator breaks. And I didn't learn that lesson. Oh, what's next? The dishwasher. You know, 
whatever it is I didn't learn, I didn't learn it, and, I, and God really wants me to learn it, so I've got to keep going through it until I finally figure out, oh, I know what it is. It's expensive. Um, I, didn't, I didn't catch on what it was or something, uh, the trial. I didn't learn what I was supposed to learn. I didn't gain something I was supposed to have gained. Tribulation. We glory in tribulations. Now, let's look at this a little bit here. The verb, and you know how good I am at grammar. I just write down what I read. I don't know anything about grammar. People say my grammar's bad, but my grandma was a nice lady. I don't ever know why they say that, but uh, um, I say that. My grandmother was named Grammy, and they say your grammar's bad or something. My dad would say grammar because he was from Boston. That's how they, they put an R on everything. That's how they talk. So. The verb affect, starting with an A, there's affect and there's effect. Both pronounced usually affect or effect. But there's affect, that's a verb, means to act on or to produce an effect. Did you get that? I've always been confused by those two words. I always use the wrong one in the wrong place. The effects of this cause the effects of this. Or because of this, the effects happen. So the verb effect means to act on or to produce an effect or a change in. Okay. Now, effect is most commonly used as a noun, meaning the result of or the consequence of, okay? So the effect of the, whatever happened, the effects of that, effects of that effect is this. You know, it caused something or created something. Okay, there's a result of that. So it is only the knowledge of the effects of the afflictions and the fact that they're appointed by God that enables Christians to enjoy tribulations. And what we're supposed to do in a tribulation is realize I'm in a trial. Something's going on, and I need to learn, and I need to trust God. All of my trials has been i got to trust God. But I've got two master's degrees, and I've got 22 years in the military and 21 years here, and I can help God with this because I'm a really smart guy. And the more I help God, the worse it gets. You ever go through that? God, wait a minute, I'm going to do this myself because I'm a resourceful guy. I'm a problem solver. Ask my wife. I'm a problem solver. I did it all the time in the military. I did it all the time at work. I'm a problem. You bring your problem, I'll solve it. That's what I did in, the, in my last two careers. It was, hey, Kurt, can you fix Yeah, you betcha. I can fix this and that. So when God brings me through a trial, I got this. No reason for me to pray and ask God, help me. Because i got to figure it out until it keeps happening and happening. Then i got to say, what am I supposed to learn? Amen? And, and we do that sometimes. And Paul is saying in Romans here, we rejoice in tribulations. Not the tribulation part of tribulations, but what part of tri tribulations do we rejoice in? And when they are... Over. Amen. Seriously, we rejoice when they're over because we saw God work. If we were paying attention to what was going on, we saw God do something in our lives. 
and we learn something about tribulations. And in Corinthians it says we can help people wherewith we ourselves have gone through something. How do you counsel somebody that's going through a terrible thing? You've been through it. You tell them what God did in your life. That's what tribulations are for. Shape us, mold us, give us experience so we can help others. The effects of our afflictions are appointed by God. Brother so-and-so or sisters, you need this in your life right now. Again, maybe. And we're supposed to learn from that. So we rejoice in tribulations, not the fact that we're going through it. But if we stay with it and pray and learn, we rejoice in the effects of that tribulation. Because I went through this, the consequence is... I do this, or I trust God more. That's what God wants. God wants to show us Him, show us that He's working in our lives, so we have to trust Him. And when we do, and it works out, and it, it works out, if you let it, okay, we rejoice in that. We saw God work. And I've been through some trials, my wife and I have. We've seen God work. Amen. And we knew it had to be God. And we can look back on it and see what God did. I went through trials. Uh, I'm in Bellingham because of some trials I went through in the Army. I'm in Bellingham because things worked out this way. I didn't like them at the time. But now I can look back 20 years later and say, ah, you ever have an ah moment? Why am I going through this or why did I go through this? And then you look back and say, well, that's how I got here now. I'm the way I am now, or I'm at this level of my spiritual life now because God brought me through these trials. And we don't see it at the time sometimes, but we can look back at it and say, ah, this is how I got here. This is, where, this is what God wanted me to do. This is why I'm on the mission. You know, whatever it is God wanted you to do, you're there now if you let the trial work its work. So Paul says we rejoice in tribulations. Tribulations is a strong word. It's not an inconvenience type thing, is it? Some trials are really hard. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Before Paul wrote Romans, he wrote Corinthians. Before Paul said we joy in our tribulations, he went through this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors abundant, in stripes above measure. What was the measure of stripes? 40. 40. You're right. You're right. 40. So stripes, more than 40. Above measure. Good job. Prisons are more frequent in deaths oft of the Jews five times received thy forty stripes save one thrice I was beaten with rods once I was stoned thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day I have spent in the deep in journeyings off in perils of water perils of robbers in perils of mine own countrymen in perils of the heathen in perils of the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunt and in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. Besides all these things that are without, 
which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. Paul knew something about tribulations. Amen. Okay? So anytime I feel bad, I think about what Paul had to go through every day. You know what I do when I'm feeling like I need to get beat up or something? You know what I do? I told some people at work one time, they were beating me up about something. He said, you know where I go when I really want to get beat up? I got a place to go when I want to really get beat up. I go to a biker bar and kick over somebody's Harley. And that works every time. They come out there and just beat the snot out of you. But I used to get beat up at work all the time by bus drivers. How come my bus, the brakes squeal. Every time I stop, we can oil those for you if you'd like. That helps. We can do lots of things. You know, I used to, all every little thing they didn't like, it wasn't like their car they drove into work, they complained about it daily. I don't like the mirrors vibrate, stop hitting bumps. I don't like this, stop doing that. You know, it was just every day, it was something dumb. And they catch me down at the dispatch when I'm down there doing stuff, talking to the dispatcher, and just, hey, when are you going to fix this? Hey, the bus fit when you applied for the job. If you grew and the bus didn't, I'm sorry. Now, that's the way it was. It was just that every day, something different. But Paul went through all these trials here, and then he tells us in verse 3 here of Romans 5, we glory in tribulations. Why do we do that? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. The effects of tribulation is patience. You've heard me say it before. I'm like a bad doctor. I don't have any patience. I really don't. I'm not a patient person. I want it now. You know, I don't want to keep working it. I want patience now. Or I, you know, don't pray for patience. It takes a while to get patience. Patience is enduring. Tribulation. That's patience. Paul said, Tribulation worketh, or the effects of tribulation, is patience. Until the old Christians that have been around for a long time and things are going bad, they just kind of, yep, God's going to work this out. Yeah. Amen. And if you're a younger Christian, you're running around with your head cut off. Yeah, what's going to happen, you know? Like some of us are doing now. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? In this election, what's going to happen about this? Oh, no. You know, we're going to be in trouble. The patient Christians that have been through this before, been around a while, God's going to work it out. It's going to be fun to see how He does it. That's a patient Christian. That's someone who's been around for a while. Yeah, I've been through this. Or I was over here. I uh, was in Germany twice, and I've been, my first tour there, I went, took a tour of the East German border. They have, they have a tour, you can go up there, and, and I was on that tour, it was almost, re, almost required for me to go there, I was, a, we were, you know, that was our enemy, East Germany, remember, ever heard of East, East uh, Germany? It used to be a country called East Germany, and West Germany, now it's just Germany, but back when there was an East Germany, I used to... You know, we were like, they were our enemy. We were, we had maneuvers. We went right up to the border. That, they were our foe. We took a border tour one time. We went to this town, and the fence was right there, the wall. And you could see up in the buildings, the East German workers up there. 
and they would turn their heads and stare at the bus and all the Americans getting out, looking at them. Can you imagine that? But they were behind barbed wire fencing and brick walls. We're not there yet. But I've seen that. I've been inside of North Korea. <gasps> Don't tell anybody. No, we have where they do the where they, where they do the trying to end the war still. Pan Munjon, they're still trying to end the war. I've been there. We built a road up there when I was stationed there. I've seen them. We're not there yet. Okay? So I've seen some things, and I can say, you know, I'm not worried, I'm concerned. I know what they have the capacity to do here in our country and what they're trying to do. But God's still, on, God's still in control. And it's going to be fun to see, and it may not happen in the next four years, but after that, it's going to be fun to see what God does. Because during the next four years, folks that are going to be oppressed, they think, are going to turn to God. They're going to experience some things and say, well, where, where's God? Right where you left him. You know, people are going to grow. Christians grow through adversity. How many books have you read about the Christians that are behind the Iron Curtain or, or wherever they're from being oppressed? They, they grow. They're spiritual giants. Yes, they didn't just stop. They grew. When we go through adversity, we're going to grow. We're going to trust God more. And that's what Paul's saying here. Amen. The effects of tribulation is that we, growing, we gain patience. Okay, does that make any sense to anybody? Good. Okay? Amen. So we forget and say, oh, we're going through a hard time. Keep the faith and wait till the end. And then you can say, boy, we went through this hard time and this is what God did. You know, that's what we need to uh, be patient for. It's hard. So tribulations produce perseverance, endurance. Verse 4, and patience, experience. Patience worketh experience. What is experience? Been through this before. When I used to hire, I used to hire journeyman mechanics in my last job at WT. I had to hire journeyman level mechanics, guys that had been doing this for five years at least and had experience on heavy duty diesel, all kinds of stuff. I had to look for that. I didn't hire guys right out of school. I had to hire guys that knew their way around a, a vehicle, around a toolbox, around a laptop, all this stuff. They had to have experience. I didn't have time to teach them. I had to have them right now. Hi, welcome to WTA. Here's your toolbox. Get to work. Boom, you're right there. Experience. And how did they get that experience? Through other jobs. And I looked for that. And when I found that, I would hire them. Okay? Uh, experience. Done this before. I'm trained. I know what I'm doing. I know my way around something. That's the, the experience that people look for. That's what we get as Christians. Amen. Tribulation. Works patience, patience worketh experience. I've been through tribulation before. New Christians, when they first go through their first trial, they want to quit. I've seen it. 
Boy, I thought Christianity was going to be, you know, this every day's beautiful kind of thing, you know. It's not. It's a mountaintop experience, and they ask, guess what is the way you have to go next? Isn't it? It's up and down. God does a work with your life to make you more like Jesus. That's what trials are for. Shape us, mold us, make us closer to God. We learn, we help other Christians. It helps us grow. Okay? So patience worketh experience, and experience hope. Experience worketh hope. That word experience is translated um, trial or proof. In this verse, it means proof. Proof implies or proof signifies that the trial has proved the genuineness of the person and, what else? The faithfulness of God. When we've experienced trials, we've proved that we can get through them, through is the operative word. We go through trials. If you're stuck in the same one for years and years, you ain't learning nothing. Something you're not catching. Okay? Time to move on, figure out what it is. When we go through trials, we gain experience or proof. I've been through this, and what the biggest thing is I saw God work. That's what God wants us to do. Trust Him and see Him work. That is hard. That takes patience. We get patience through experience. It just progresses one thing to the next. Experience signifies proof. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you. I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. Paul was concerned about the people in Corinth at the time. I want to know the proof of you. What's he looking for? I want to see your testimony that when you go through hard times, you stick by the stuff. I want to see the proof. <laughs> Philippians 2.22 But ye know the proof of him, talking about Timothy, that as a son with the Father, he hath served me in the gospel. Paul said, but ye know the proof. You've seen Timothy. You've known his testimony. You've seen his faithfulness. You've seen him work. You've seen him serve with me in the gospel. Paul could point to him and say, proof. Okay? That's what these tribulations do. This experimental evidence we have believed through grace and experience gives us hope. Proof worketh hope. Now there's two, two kinds of hope we've had as Christians. The first kind of hope we had is immediately upon believing and being saved, we had that peace of God, that hope. Remember what hope is? What kind of hope is it? Is it I hope so hope or is it? It's happy hope. Remember that last week? Happy hope. 
The hope you get when you know something's true. Hope is not disappointing. How many of you have hope for something and didn't get it? I've been hoping my hair would grow back for 40 years. No luck so far, but I keep hoping for it. I'm used to disappointment. I'm a pessimist. Did you all know that? I'm used to disappointment. I hope for things and I don't, I'm used to it. I now expect the worst. I'm a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. The glass isn't half full. The glass isn't even mine. I mean, it's really bad. I, that's the way I am. I was raised that way. I'm just that way. I'm a pessimist. Okay? But we have this hope when we're saved. We had seen God do a miracle in our lives. And we keep learning. And God keeps proving himself. And we have this happy hope. We know things are going to work out. Is it going to be our way? No, not always. God may say what? No, Kurt. No hair. Sorry. Not important. Or he may say no about anything. But we have hope. We know when God's answered. We know when God's worked. That gives us hope. Because it proves God is faithful. When we see us go through trials and we see things answered. Either way. An answer is an answer. If God provides an answer, that's an answer. And later on, you'll look back and say, Boy, I'm glad I didn't get this, what I asked for. You know? Uh, verse number five. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hope does not put us to shame. Empty hope puts us to shame. I'm hoping my wife buys me a diesel pickup truck this year. I just got a truck. Yeah, I know, but it wasn't diesel. That was, that was disappointing. Until you see the price tag of a diesel, you trade my house in for a pickup truck or something. Anyways, I have hope, but I'm not going to get it. You know, that's disappointing hope. That's not God's hope. God's hope doesn't disappoint us. Amen. If we're disappointed, it's our fault. Maybe we asked amiss, asked for things that God didn't want us to have. That's disappointing hope. God's hope doesn't make us ashamed as empty hope does. Hope doesn't disappoint. Tribulation builds in us a hope that will not be a disappointment. We get through a trial, we see God work, we're happy. We're ready for the next one because we've got one under our belt or how many hundreds you've been through in your life. We know what we're going to go through. We know what it's going to be like and we know it's up to us to trust God in our tribulations, isn't it? God's going to do what God's going to do. We've got a choice we can make. We can have hope, happy hope, or we can be disappointed that I'm going through a trial right now. I'm sorry. I can't do anything with you. I can't be a friend anymore because I'm going through a trial. Instantly, let me tell you about it. And a person you tell about it says, you know, I've been through that before. Let me tell you what God did for me. 
That should be us saying that. Sometimes we need to hear it, though, from others, don't we? I've been through that. You know what? It was easy. God did this. I did this. I believe God. He worked out, and I'm better. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to learn, okay? Hope is not a disappointment. God has proved His intention to work in us. We didn't just get saved and that's it. A lot of Christians have. They got saved and they stopped right there. You meet them all the time when you visit. Yeah, I got saved once. Haven't been to church. Haven't done anything for the Lord. Yeah, Christian life's all right. You know why it's all right only? Because you haven't grown. You meet them out, don't you meet them out there, Pastor, all the time? Yeah, I got saved once. God never did anything for me. Well, guess what? You've got to step out. Exhibit some faith. It says here, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? The Holy Ghost. God poured out His love towards us by the Holy Ghost. It's shed abroad. God's love isn't just a trickle. You've heard of trickle-down economics? If you've been watching politics for the last 20, 30 years. Trickle-down economics. God's love is not trickle-down love. It's shed abroad. It's poured out in our hearts. And the one that turns off the valve or turns the cup over is us. God doesn't do it. Shed abroad through the Holy Spirit. That's our teacher, the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's working in our lives. God wants us to know the outpouring of His love. And we learn that as we go through these tribulations that Paul's talking about. We see it. We experience it. When we go through it again, we have that happy hope that everything's going to work out great and God's going to teach us something. That has to be our attitude. That's hard, isn't it? I've not always done that. That's why I've gone through the same trial a couple of times. Oh, this is a trial. Not just something bad that happened. Are trials always bad things that happen? You know what they are sometimes? Lots of good things happen. That's a trial. I didn't deserve all this good stuff. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to point to yourself that I did, I got, I made? No, that's a trial. God did these things for me. You've got to recognize that. That's a trial. That's a test. Got to keep that in your mind. God's love is communicated through the Holy Spirit. A lack of awareness of God's love is a failure to be constantly filled with the Spirit. We walk around, mope around, and we don't recognize what God's trying to do to us. 
and we are not filled with the Spirit. We say, oh, it's really great to be a Christian. And you can't convince anybody of anything. They see your life. Why would they want to be like you? They're already that way. You've got to guard our testimonies. Amen. Show God's love through our life. I don't always do that. I'm my best on this. But uh, we've got to do that. Right. Folks got to see something in our life that they want. Amen. That's hard to do. That's what God wants us to learn. People see us going through hard times, or when hard times happen, they see us motoring right through it. How does he do that, I wonder? And why does he always smile? I don't like that. I don't trust that. Jimmy Carter always smiled, too. I didn't like, I didn't like him. You know, uh, people got to ask you, what's going on in your life? How come you're going through this? So well, you got a chance to share it with them then, okay? Not every Christian lives in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and walks in the Spirit. Look at, uh, look at Romans chapter 8. Oops, Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 9. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Look at verse number 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but what? After the Spirit. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. People see us, and if we're walking after the Spirit and minding the things of the Spirit, they notice that. You may not think they do, but they do. They sit back and watch you at work or somewhere, you know, and maybe people are going through hard times, and you're not the one that's... Shaking your head, oh no, Inslee got reelected. What are we going to do now? We're going to stick with it and watch God work. Inslee's not going to be there forever. Right. Amen. Might be somebody worse. But God's going to do a work in our life, right? God's going to show us what He's going to do. God's going to meet our needs through adversity if we trust Him. Boy, I didn't mean to get off on politics. It's just kind of hard not to these days. Isn't it? <laughs> Look at verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength in to due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When I was doing an earlier chapter, I said there was nobody godly to die for. Remember that? Let's look at this a little bit, a little bit more. There's three examples of the properties of God's love in this verse right here. Let me show them to you. First... Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Well, their character is far, their righteousness is far from meriting any intervention from God on our behalf. Their sin is repulsive in the eyes of God. Who are these people? They are the ungodly and wicked people that Jesus died for. Paul spent the first two and a half chapters of Romans talking about these people. And guess what? We are them. Them are us. We're the sinners that he died for. 
We are those people that Christ died for in our current condition. We didn't have to get better first, did we? I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Adam tried that. Would have run out of leaves. You know what I mean? We can't make ourselves better to where God's going to like us better. God liked us just as we are. He died for us. Second, He did this when we were yet without strength. There was nothing between us and eternity in hell. Nothing. And this emphasizes the reasons that uh, for God's love, uh, they're found in Him, not us. There's nothing in us that pleased God before we were saved. He saw sinner. We don't have anything in us that deserve to be saved. I'm a nice moral person. Yes. There's a lot of those in hell. Really. Streets paved with them. Okay? Good intentions. Third, he did this in when? Due time. When it was fitting that it should take place. Galatians 4.4 When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law. How come God sent Jesus when he did? Because the world was prepared spiritually, economically, linguistically, politically, philosophically, geographically prepared. And that's when Jesus came. Couldn't have come any earlier. world wasn't ready. Couldn't have come any later. Could you imagine him coming now? He'd be on CNN. Well, this man called himself Jesus, and you know, they'd beat him up all the time. He had to come when the world was just right. God determined that, and that's when he sent Christ. Amen. The world was prepared for him. For we were yet sinners, Christ died for us when we were ungodly. Spurgeon said this, If Christ died for the ungodly, this fact leaves the ungodly without excuse. If they do not come to Him and believe in Him unto salvation, had it been otherwise that they had to plead, we are not, un we are not fit to be saved because we're ungodly, Christ died for them, the ungodly. Why not for you? Christ died for the ungodly. There was nobody godly to die for. He died for us in our current condition. The world was ready. The world's ready now. Let me go through verse 7 real fast and then we'll, then we'll stop. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Is there a difference in Paul's mind between a good man and a righteous man? Yeah. You know what it is? That's why you're here today. You're going to learn what the difference is between a good man and a righteous man. The difference is, the righteous man is only that. Righteous in his personal life, but maybe lacking in feelings for others. That's a righteous man. A good man 
is righteous, but also he is kind and benevolent towards others. That's a righteous man. Good man is good. Righteous man is better. That's why he says here, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Preadventure for a good man, one would even dare to die. Righteous follows the law. Righteous is good. But a good man is a good man. Anybody here know a good man? I like good men. I like men that are good. I used to like to work with good men. You know? But there's a contrast here between a good man and a righteous man. Preadventure to even dare to die for a good man. He's righteous, but he goes beyond. He's kind and benevolent and good to other people. That's why he says there's a difference there. He contrasts those two. They, you know, scarcely would they, would they die for a righteous, but much more for a good man. That's even more. A person would rather die for a good man than a righteous man, because a good man is righteous and beyond. Okay? That's the difference there. We're going to stop here. Verse number 8, we'll pick up next week. I'll mark my place. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for our lesson today. Father, pray God you bless the services to follow. Pray God you bring visitors, Lord. Pray God you just bring regular folks in, Lord, this morning, Father. Um, pray, Lord, you bless the service in Jesus' name. Amen.